0: You're listening to 203040, the podcast where we share, celebrate, and debate the opinions of three different generations of moviegoers. Welcome back, listeners. Today we are talking about the 2019 Academy Award-winning film Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. And with me today, as always, the lovely Ryan and Josh. How's it going, guys?
1: It's going good. How are you? Hey, how, how's it going?
0: in as well as it can considering we are in quarantine
1: <laughs>
0: so this film parasite i love it so much i think i saw it maybe three or four times in the theaters i'm so excited that it's out on hulu now so i can watch it um i guess first of all what did you guys think of it did you enjoy it did you hate it
2: i i really dug it um and it was funny because i didn't uh, you were the one who actually uh, put it on my radar, probably about a month before the Academy Awards, and I there just I didn't have a theater around here that was showing it, that was screening the movie, that wasn't like two hour wasn't a two hour drive from here, and um, and I finally that final week before the Academy Awards it opened up uh, at a theater uh, probably about a mile from my house, and I saw it that Saturday night prior to. The academy awards and i actually went from thinking 1917 was the front runner to after that weekend being like you know what this movie has a shot um but and yeah and it, it actually did a lot better than i thought it would but yeah i was really impressed by it well,
0: josh what'd you think
1: yeah i i really uh i was surprised by this movie i loved it so much um It was the same week that I went to see Lighthouse that I first found out about this movie because one of my friend's uh, girlfriends saw it. And she was like, oh, my God, you have to see Parasite. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's Mm -hmm. about two families. And that's all I'm going to tell you. And I was like, oh, okay." Uh, So I rented it on Amazon Prime when it was available. And uh, yeah, this might have been like three weeks before the Oscars or something. And oh, my gosh, I don't think I've ever been through that kind of experience while watching a film I mean there were so many twists and turns and tonal shifts and the way that you feel about characters changes as you go I just I'm, I'm very very impressed by this movie
2: yeah and this this movie uh it it, it took me a little while to think about it because I walked out and I was like wait a minute I've never I couldn't think of a movie that was set up kind of the way that you know the way that this one was I mean that whole first half of the movie you're seeing these have-nots um winning and yes they're not morally they're you know their compass is you know their, their, their moral compass is mm, a little little off center but um but they are doing whatever you know whatever it takes to climb out of the literally to you know and figuratively to climb out of the sewers to climb out of the gutters and uh that is a mentality that a lot of people you know are kind of forced into you know, there you know there were also cultural things, and I, I I thought it was interesting how the you know the mother is so obsessed with Western culture, and and you know everything is if it's American, it's it's wonderful. Um, I thought that I, I thought that was pretty interesting, but um, th- there there are things that yes, although that these are are not good people on the climb, you know, with the uh, with the uh, are they the Kim family?
0: Yeah, the poor families, the Kim family
2: yeah um and the parks would be the have the haves the rich yep. family yeah the uh you do kind of i mean i i was still rooting for them because they were funny and they were fun to be around and their scams were like this isn't gonna work and it's like oh my god i can't believe that worked like really that worked mm-hmm. for you guys your luck has been shit your entire lives and now it's really because you know once they get that stone once they get that landscape stone their luck turns turns around um, but yeah, I mean, I, I got a kick out of how, how it was plotted out. And, um, I think it was really effective in getting to that final, you know, as he pushed to that final, uh, you know, that final climax, uh, of the movie and then the the final image, it it was, it was quite a, it was quite a journey.
0: I'd be really curious to see how many drafts the script went through to get the depth of subtext that they have throughout it. It's, it's incredible. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love watching it over and over and over again is because each time I pick up on something new or I watch mm-hmm. it and read an article and see something that makes me want to go look for other stuff. For example, um, talking about metaphors within the movie. And I mean, it's very on the nose that he, the characters say like, Oh, that's so metaphorical. And that's the whole movie is just metaphor yeah. after metaphor. And um, one of the, little nods to that that's in the film that I didn't even pick up on the first time was the Ramdan meal that they cook, you know, when the family's coming back from the camping trip. Um, So the ramen noodle mix that they're using is, it's like ramen that we pick up from the store for like, what, 25 cents or something. So really cheap cheap. instant noodle. And that one is more like an udon noodle, or I think it's a mix between ramen and udon. So you have the super cheap noodle But then the Park family, the wife specifically asked to add the meat to it, which then they add a really high-class steak. It almost looks like a Wagyu steak, you know, super Mm. marbled with fat. Maybe it's just something cheaper. But still, you're mixing this unbelievably cheap meal that a lot of people in poverty have to survive off of like. They eat it out of necessity because they can't afford anything else. Mm-hmm. And she's like adding this super expensive thing. It's like sprinkling gold flakes on Cheerios, yeah. you know. It's, gr-
2: it's like the uh, the grade A meat with the uh, yeah with all the other cheap ingredients. Yeah, what a blend.
1: So just yeah, okay, it's
2: made up for for what's going on at the house right there. Is they are blending, right. you know, the 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 uh, the upper class and the lower class into one, and it's. Um, yeah, it's gonna cause a stomach ache if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there, I mean, I mean, from the get go, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, from the get go, you have. Uh, I'm gonna refer to him as as the uh, rich dad and poor dad,
0: <laughs> Mr. Rich Park, family, Mr. Kim.
2: Family, because because the the families do kind of mirror each other. You know, with the uh, the you know four members of the family: mother, father, uh, son, daughter, um, just different different classes. But um, I mean, right from the get go, you have the rich I mean, I'm sorry, the, the, the poor father at the uh, at their, you know, their sub cellar level uh, basement <clears throat> uh, basement apartment building or p- apartment unit. And he flicks that cockroach off of the uh, kitchen table. And it's like it, it, and it was such a metaphor for. Where this whole movie's going, because at the end, that's basically what he does: is he flicks another cockroach out of its dwelling so that he can take its place.
0: Right. Well, and even with that, the fact that when the uh, fumigation is coming through the neighborhood, and he's like, "No, leave the windows open. Yeah, free pesticide extermination yeah, for us. Let's get rid of the cockroaches." So
2: as as they're folding the pizza boxes, you're like, "Oh my god, how are you <laughs> gonna sell them back?" Yeah. Those and, those half uh, those those half ass half acidly put together uh, boxes
1: i feel like that early into the movie is when you know okay i'm in for a ride here you know because i've never seen anything like that the way that the the you know whatever it was the pesticides blowing through their windows it was an incredible shot
2: Mm -hmm. did you notice that the very the opening image um with
0: the window and like the socks hanging yeah the socks hanging there the
2: boiled socks and what's the smell that uh that they, you know, that they identify with him is that, that uh, just like that boiled rag smell.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's exactly what we were looking at was, that was what, that's what that smell was, that, that the rich family can't stand is you're looking at it right there. Are right. those, those, those dirty gray socks. And it, and there's a pair for each one of them. There's four of them hanging there.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's so neat to see like, this is, this is, uh, this is where this family lives and this is the uh, yeah, it's quite a setup because right away you you do feel for them. And, and and I think that 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 is a reason why you let them get away with being such rotten people ethically um, through the whole first half of the movie is because you realize how hard up they are,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and Josh and I have talked to, uh, before about um smells you know whether, whether you're writing uh writing it in a script or kind of making it visual um which can be tough at times trying to write the, the sense of smell into a script but you do have to make it visual and and they absolutely do that from the very get-go you can smell that place
0: right um, well and when you
2: open
0: the guy that's like taking a piss outside of the window on the dumpster yeah. like yeah it's you can just about smell how dank that apartment must be.
2: See the film on the windows. It's like you, as soon as opening image, you're like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, it's because I mean, it was, I mean, most people have, have been at least been in a, in a, in a, uh, an environment like that. So they're like, Oh, I know what that feels like and smells like and look. Yeah. So it was neat how he just came right out of the, right out of the shoot with that.
0: Yeah, well, and the way that they orchestrate that whole opening sequence is just, it's such a great overture for the entire film, not only from the things that we're talking about of, you know, the free fumigation, him flicking the cockroach, the socks there, but even the cinematography, if you watch it again, that opening shot where you're looking at the window, the socks are there, the title comes up, the camera dips down from, you're at like, your eye level with where people's feet would be and Mm -hmm. wheels of cars and you know you are on ground level and then the camera dips down so you know that these people are not only low but they're the lowest of low they're like beneath everyone else
2: they're lower than whale shit (laughs) yeah as my grandfather would say
0: (laughs) that's a good way to put it um and then continuing through their apartment in that opening sequence when we're really establishing how low these people are the cameras are set at a high angle so they're just above the characters and looking down at them so you know we know that that diminishes the characters too so it's the um i don't know the class divide between these two families and the transitions are woven into the story visually very subtly as well um, yeah, I mean,
2: even with that opening image, I mean, you, the way that the uh, the frame of the of those uh, windows of their apartment unit—I mean—you feel like you're also in prison there. The mm-hmm. way that the way that the uh, you know, it feels like there's prison bars in front of you, keeping you locked in there.
0: Right. Versus you know? the the park house, this, oh, the yeah. giant open windows. There's hardly any frames to the windows. It's just giant panes of glass.
2: I um, mean, his 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 reaction alone. Uh, when um kevin uh gets to the uh you know kind of that act one break when he crosses over that threshold into that 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 uh you know the new world it's like he is just giddy because it's just like wow i don't this is so far from my real life and it's you know he's in touch with nature for the first time it's like everything's green and plush it, it's he can't help but be like but for you have that feeling of Oh wow! This is what it feels like to be on the other side. It's neat.
0: Mhm. Um, you know, I saw a poster. I think, gosh, was it an actual official poster or fan uh, fan art? I'm not sure. Um, but there was a really neat poster for this film that was circulating around, and it shows the different kind of layers of the movie stacked as a like a tall building. So the Park House is up at the top. And then the different street levels. And then at the bottom you have um, the Kim's family apartment in the basement. And I thought that was really neat. And, of course, that's what the movie is all about, is that kind of, like, class divide and who's on top. But then I get to reading about the way that they edited the film with the, um, the journey between the basement house and then the park's mansion. The way they edit it, you never... You never see the characters going in an upward motion to get to the basement location. You know, like if they're walking down the street, it's never up a hill. It's always down. So, like they're always taking staircases down. They're going down a hill, and then if they're going to the mansion, they're doing they're going up. So they edit the motion so it almost seems like the film is completely vertical.
1: Mm.
0: So um,
2: I kind of thought it was the whole first half of the movie. Everything is moving up
0: when they're on the right, journey socially when, upwards
2: that's what i mean but that's i mean that's pretty much your whole first act yeah until, but I, i'm know, just
0: saying like directionally how they yeah. are you know stacking things geographically it it's subconsciously is telling you or reinforcing that concept of one being above the other
2: oh, well the sure because, because even i mean their whole way the whole way up until they get the mother hired there as the maid it everything is moving up it's up up mm-hmm. up from the time that they that the maid comes back and takes them down into that uh, the underground lair where her husband's hanging, mm-hmm. um, for, I mean, from that point on, everything's down, down, down. I mean, even okay. th- like when they like that whole that whole sequence when they are heading back to uh, during the rain, they go down like four or five different huge outdoor staircases, all with those steep declines of them walking down. And then they get back to their apartment, which is underwater. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like we've reached the low point here. <laughs> you know, we're below the low point. But yeah, but personally, it, was, it was really neat. That, that
1: whole part you were just talking about, Ryan, I feel like that was such good. It was so good with showing the escalation of conflict, you know, because we go from them hiding underneath that table, the coffee table at the yep. uh, parks house. And you're like, you're like, yeah, and you're so on edge for this family. You're like, you would just really want them to get out. And then they do. And they're actually worse for it when they when they do wind up getting out, because when they get back to their house, it's flooded. Uh, you know, crap is shooting up from the toilet. It's like the word. It looks like hell. It's just terrible. It is. You yeah. know, and it's it's worse than where they were 10 minutes earlier when you were like, please get out of here. It's like you get what you want. And now yeah. it's actually a lot worse.
2: Yep. Yeah, the uh, yeah his his manipulation of, of uh, yeah just how they shot that it, it's like you you know where these people are just by how they're moving and where they are like wh- where they are as far as um, in, in their uh, in their own personal quest. because <laughs> it, it was it was almost like it was too easy to get to the top mm-hmm. you know if you want to lie and you want to be conniving yeah sure you can think you're getting a free pass. But from the time that doorbell, from the time that lightning crashes and the and the uh, at the mid right around that midpoint and then the doorbell rings, it's like, hey, karma just knocked on the front door. And it it wants all of its good luck back (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's going to take it and uh, it's going to take it with interest.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to jump back to the coffee table hiding underneath that scene (laughs) Um, and a couple of things there. So we're talking about the you know in the storm when they're descending the staircase and there's a theme of stairs throughout the film and bong jun ho admitted that that was deliberate to include stairs um as an element almost a a character in a sense Mm -hmm. and it's to represent sort of this infinity loop you know up and down up and down between the two classes the circulation of the story um and then reinforcing the Kim's family's like ruthless ascent into a higher status and the mm-hmm. ease of transition between by using those stairs. But to go back to like the little nuances of the film that I think are just so incredible, one of them that I just stumbled upon was the production design, even the coffee table. They designed it specifically for the movie to look like an M.C. Escher impossible loop and also like stairs.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: even that, that's included to reinforce this kind of never ending cycle yeah. that they're going through and that ease of transition. Um, the other thing that I noticed was when the Kim family is escaping any situation, most of the time they're seen either crawling on all fours or yeah. when Mr. Kim is getting out from under that table, he has to slither on the ground like a snake. So it's like they're <laughs> crawling like bugs or sliding like, like <laughs> slimy snakes
2: he's doing the low crawl the low crawl drag where his <laughs> legs are not moving yeah yeah and it, it's so funny cuz he gets cuz out of all of them he's doing it's like the other two just you know scurry away on all fours and get down the stairs and he's doing this slow you know drawn out slide and you're like dude you're going to speed this up man it was, but i i almost think it's almost like he is so shell shocked from what he just heard these people like he at that moment when he's under that table you can't help but feel bad for this guy because they go in those close. There, there's like four or five times throughout the movie when when they when they mention something and it starts right off from the beginning when those pizza delivery people are there and they say one out of every four of these are rejects. Do you know what that does to a brand name? And they and they rack focus onto him standing in the hallway. And he just has this look like, "Was not me? Was it? You know, like <laughs> we talking about me?" And then he finally realizes, you know, when they when they get to. Uh, and they're talking about his smell and how he smells like cabbage and a boiled rag. And it's just that close up on his face, and you're like, "Oh, dude, I feel awful for you." Yeah. But you're hearing it firsthand, and he's like smelling, trying to smell himself, but he's stuck under the coffee table, two feet away from this, from this couple. And um. Yeah, it it it, it, it was um. Yeah, you could tell that that guy's really having a rough go. <laughs>
0: Well, it's interesting that you bring up the thing about the pizza boxes that they say one in every four is no good and what that does for a brand and then shifting the focus to him. It's like, well, they're a family of four and he's one out of the four that's no good. And that's kind of the weight that's on his shoulders is his constant failure. Yeah,
2: but he's, what, also, he's also the guy that doesn't have any real skill set out of that family. He has zero, like, I mean, exactly. they, they they quickly go over to the to the BMW dealership, and he gets to screw around on the lot, you know, in the on the showroom, playing with the controls, just so he's familiar with it when he gets into Mr. Park's car. But um, he he's the only one that doesn't have a talent. The son is English or linguistics; that's his talent. The daughter, it's art, and the mother is. It, it seems as though she was some sort of champion athlete until Mr. Uh, you know, Mr. Kim, old uh, shithead, came into her life, and 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 pretty much set her on a path that took her off of her successful athletic career mm-hmm. so he's he is the one out of the four um you know, then we also you know, by the end of the story we kind of realized that that yeah he he was there's a, there's a few characters i think you could say uh, have parasite like qualities um but it seems as though he is probably the uh the main the main offender in that in that respect
0: Josh, were you gonna add something to that with Mr. Kim? Um,
1: yeah, you guys were talking about the uh, the pizza box at the beginning, you know, and how what'd they say one out of four were not usable? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought that was that was good because that, that was the first time that we find out, okay, this father's kinda half assing things a little bit. Like he's a professional con man, but he also does half ass what he does. And later on, when he's driving Mr. Park, Mr. Park even compliments him. He says, uh, great corner work or great cornering or something like that. You know, it's like this guy's always taking corners, always trying to make it like everything as easy as possible. Oh, that's
2: good. Yeah, because he actually says to him in that same scene, the uh, Mr. Park, the rich guy and sitting in the back, tells him that he has always had an admiration for men who, who stay in the same field their whole career. And this guy is absolutely not that. This guy bounces from being a, a pastry chef, or, or pastry, uh, he owns a pastry shop. He, it's like this guy has worked every single job you can think of because he can't come up with a plan for life. He doesn't, he doesn't have any job skills, he doesn't have any leadership skills, really doesn't have any, absolutely doesn't have any parenting skills, and it's like this guy has just floated with no real direction in his life. And now he's being complimented for being this guy who has seen it through in the same industry and it's being told, I admire that. And he's accepting that knowing full well, I'm an imposter. That's not me at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, John, that whole that whole thing of like, like the way you corner and it is because the guy just takes shortcuts and and cuts corners. It's always done his whole life is look for the easy way out.
0: So, if we're talking about um, like character development, character arc, story arc, uh, what do you think about Mr. Kim's arc? Do we feel like he learned a lesson? Do we feel like he arced properly? What What do you guys think?
1: You know, right after uh, I saw the movie, uh, me and Ryan had a, a quick conversation about you know the characters, and the, the main thing that we were talking about was like, well, who who do you think is the protagonist? You know, generally in a movie, the the protagonist is the one that Either learns a lesson or rejects a lesson. They're the ones that I feel like have the most to do with, you know, learning or rejecting. And I think Mr. Kim kind of maintains, he kind of stays the same all the way throughout. I I think it's the son that is sort of the one that, you know, interacts with this lesson because I guess what the whole idea is that it's like should you plan for the future or should you not plan for the future and everything leading up to that scene and the camp toward the end after the flood they're always planning coming up with new plans and i think even after they escape and they see that everything is flooding um, the son even says like hey well what's the plan you know what do we do now and the sister kind of loses it on him and you know all that stuff but then when they're actually at the camp the father says you know never plan for anything because if you plan for something you're just going to, what's he say? You're going to fail, and you're going to disappoint yourself. But then, by the end of the film, the son, and the only thing that's keeping him holding on to hope is the fact that he does have a plan, even though it's it's completely... I mean, we see it, and it's like, wow, this is impossible. <laughs> he's you know severely damaged, and he's even in worse conditions than he was at the start, but he has a plan now. I don't know. It, it, it's... I've been struggling with that whole thing because it's a very interesting kind of lesson that the movie provides. I don't know if it's a false lesson or if it's like a correct lesson.
2: It's weird how you could take that, too, because, yes, they they talk about plans a few times. Um, I think it's like five or six times throughout the whole movie. They bring up what's the plan. Do we have a plan? Um, and the, but the thing is, when their plans work, the only plans that work for them, their plans are shit. Their plans are awfully—I mean, they're terribly planned and executed. It just so happens they have the luck of this landscape stone on their side. When you actually look at their plans and how they work out, it's like, how could they have predicted that if she leaves her underpants in, in the driver's um, in the in the uh, Back seat of the car? In the car. Why would they ever make those assumptions? Like. Well, we got to get rid of the driver because oh, he's probably having sex with a with a uh, drug addict. It's like, how did you come to this? Like that is not a that those are not normal ways to if you're coming up with a plan, you would never expect humans to react to that in that way. It was so far fetched, but their plans were working. They were crap plans, but they were working. Um but then those same plans, and th- and then it's just all their plans unravel. And, and it's really when they get to that, when they're all sitting there and they're drinking, and it's the son actually says, "I'm gonna after she gets done school." He's saying the same. He's trying to take the plan that his buddy Min had by saying, "When she gets done school, we're going to become serious." And then they start to say like, you know. And then the father says, "And you'll be." doing, and the, you know, and the, then her mother-in-law will be doing her her her, uh, her laundry and stuff. And it's like, they're not even realizing, like, whatever your plan you think you have now is never going to happen because you guys, you know, the, his family is disguised as the help now. They're never going to be able to have a future together. And I think at that moment, they all start realizing, like, okay, we made it to the top, but we don't have any plan from here. Now we're stuck here. That kid... I mean, he can't have a future with that girl. Um, But I think it's at that moment where, you know, because they're still drunk. I'm not even sure they're realizing it. But as viewers, we realize that like, dude, you're screwed. You can't like this is it for you as far as that relationship goes. Um, But yeah, but it's just all their shitty plans that did work all of a sudden unravel whole second act. So it's almost. and, And then the other thing is, by the end of the film, when they're stuck in that gym, it does kind of make you think like, I mean, in this current state that we're in with the quarantine, it's like, it didn't matter what your plans were. We're all sitting here in our houses, whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter if you had the best plan in the world. We're all sitting here. So it, it can be taken a few different ways, I, I, I think anyway.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I want to hop back to, you were talking about the the luck and the fortune. And I guess this kind of folds in with the plan conversation too. Um, the luck and the fortune with this scholar rock and what's the significance of that and the story. And in the beginning, Mr. Kim is the one that is so obsessed with it and, you know, feeling very blessed that the friend men gave it to their family and saw that it had more value than them getting food, which is what they really needed. Yeah. Um, so, what was your interpretation of the scholar, scholar rock or landscape stone, whatever they call it? Um, what do you think the purpose of having that in the story was?
2: You want to take a crack, Josh?
1: That's a tough one. Um, the The friend, what, what does he say it represents at the beginning in monetary wealth or well-being or something? Yeah, I yeah, think it's going
2: to, it's it? going to, it's going to give you, uh, yeah, financial wealth pretty much. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of think that uh,
1: what the director was trying to say, at least, is that, you know, because the, the main character who really holds on to it and says that it's, like, following him and it's, like, bound to him is the son, you know? And I think that because of where the son winds up, where he's, you know, so mentally damaged after getting hit in the head with that rock, mm-hmm. his dream is to become wealthy and save his father and his family with that wealth. So I think... It's almost criticizing that youthful naivety that, you know, some people have about like, well, hey, I can make it just as big as anyone else. When really sometimes, you know, circumstances get in the way, especially in uh, the, the culture that this you know, film takes place in.
2: Yeah, that, <clears throat> I think there's a, few different, there's a few different ways to look at it. I, I also think that uh, you could also look at it as <clears throat> the world was in balance before this stone arrived. And also the, the stone kind of represents nature and the earth and you know the natural state of balance. Once they receive this thing as a gift, everything, the balance is thrown off. Everything gets thrown off and, You know, because these people who have never had any luck in their lives all of a sudden go on this on this, you know, th- this whole spree where everything works out for them. That's not the world is not balanced because something's off now. And he keeps talking about how this 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 uh, stone keeps following him. And it's it, it, which is also a metaphor for what you know this drive that he has to impress his father, because there's a few times where he wants his father to be the mentor figure, but he isn't capable of that. Um, but then at the end there, once that stone gets he puts that stone back into nature, back into the stream, the world restores balance. And, and, uh, and things continue on the the way that they, you know, the way the world normally runs it's yeah. now everybody's back into their own class.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: but a lot of damage has been done, you know, um, but the world does kind of restore balance as soon as that thing gets put back into the, uh, the stream. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't theirs to, it wasn't theirs to have. I think it almost symbolizes like, uh, yeah, when you cheat your way to the top, the the world will restore balance, and you will pay for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Life finds a way, right? Yeah. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Always <laughs> got to throw it in there. Um, so with the scholar rock, I was doing some research on it of what it means, and I guess in Korean culture, it's not as significant. It's kind of a, a dated thing um, that people would go out and find these scholar rocks that would represent status and education, and it, Uh, you know, had the, oh my God, I can't think of the word. that theoretically, it brought luck and fortune to the family. So it's not so much a thing anymore, but, you know, they want to latch onto the symbolism. Um, And it seems like in this movie, it can also represent like a physical manifestation of uh, Kevin's character feeling like a weight on his shoulders for having to provide for the family because the father's not really Mm -hmm. doing anything. Um, and, you know, he's drawn to it in that way, and then it's also, it's yet another shortcut for them to advance on a socioeconomic level of, like, oh, well, if we just, you know, have this rock, like, cool, it's it's our, like, advance to go, collect $200 kind of thing. it's It's not, I'm going to go out into the mountains and find a rock that speaks to me and then I'll polish it and get it all set at home and mount it. You know, they're just given this thing and they're like, oh, cool. All right, yep, we'll take that shortcut onto the next. Um, So I thought that was interesting that they include it in that way. Uh, And I believe in the film, when they go back to the apartment, when it's flooded, the rock floats to the top of the water, which, you know, is not gonna happen. It would be sinking in the water. But Bong Joon-ho specifically wanted it to be that kind of, you know, fantastical, that, mm-hmm. you know, real or the God, what magical realism. Think. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho wanted it to be that magical realism where it floats. So it's like this epic journey for him with the rock. Um, yeah. So that was which, which
2: which also which also ends up being the thing that uh, old basement boy fires off his cranium. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, the irony that, of that. That
2: scene, I, I remember when, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, wait. Oh, no, we're hitting him again. <laughs> he bounces that thing off him. It's like, oh, boy. Yeah. I don't think Kev's making it.
0: <laughs> I was that, not expecting the horror when all that stuff went down. That was such a twist, more than an M. Night Shyamalan twist. I was like, what the hell is going on with this film? I love it, but oh, my God.
1: Yeah, that was crazy. I was feeling <laughs> really uh, really disturbed at that last like quarter of the film. You know, I guess it's the next day after the flood. Everything was just, oh my gosh,
2: well, It was I, crazy. I thought it was, <clears throat> that, and and that's where I think he really, I mean, his use of mythology there was so. I mean, it was so cool to to see to see how he kind of just orchestrated that because you know with the Native American Indians, which is he set up so early, and that was a tie in. You know, with <clears throat> is it uh, the song, the the son, the young son, the rich son where he went to that Cub Scout camp and came back with this obsession with Native American Indians. Excuse me. And then Kevin growing up and being a scout, which also allows both of them to read um, uh, Morse code. You know, it's like that was a neat little thing there. But the other thing that he does with the end was that whole ceremony where the father's explaining to Mr. Kim, because his big thing is he's, he's worried about his own son um, having some, you know what's he going to be like growing up he's got some he's, he has some issues is he ever going to be a, able to be a man and grow up and and, get, and not be a little boy uh because everybody babies him and uh that they have this whole this whole thing set up which is is like right out of a lot of these tribal um mythologies is where they would you know the, they would uh, often the mothers would uh Would take the sons and pretend that they were protecting them, and all the men would dress up in masks. And this is in a lot of different tribal communities. A similar uh, ceremony where where it's this rites of passage, where they the men dress up like you know like creatures. They dress up like animals. You know whatever whatever the uh, you know whatever the culture is, and they will come and take kidnap the boys from their mothers, and the mothers will. It's like a it's like a dramatic A ceremony where the mothers will cry and act like they don't they're not a part of it like they're being robbed of their children like they're pulling their sons away and this and the fathers will take them out into the forest or whatever and it's like weeks upon weeks where they are just covering them in animal blood in other human human blood it's like this whole thing where it's like oh my god i can't ever be a kid again because i've gone through this and that's what he absolutely what he was going for with that birthday party it was a rites of passage that he was setting up for his son, and it just goes so bad. <laughs> but um, I, I just thought that was a really neat choice to, uh, you know, to use at that moment in the film where, where you just don't expect that kind of violence to happen all at once. And it's like, we are being covered in the blood, you okay. know, as is you know, the kid, it's like, we aren't going to be the same. None of these characters are going to be the same after this. There is going to be, there has to be a rebirth. There has, anybody who lives from that is changed. Right. Life has changed.
0: Well, and it's ironic before. that it's almost like the joke is on us as the audience watching that, like what you're explaining Thanks. that the dad is trying to have the son go through this initiation process, this rite of passage, and then tables turn and it's like, oh, just just kidding, audience. You guys are the one that are going to suffer from the trauma from this. Yeah. But even even still, if we're taking the audience out of it and sticking into the movie world, You have Mr. Park saying that he wants to do this for his son and it's involving, you know, an attack and that the son has to fight back and that there is a perceived level of threat and danger and violence against family or friends. And then the dramatic irony on top of that is that is the actual scenario that plays out is that it's violence. It's an attack on family and friends and someone has to defend and they scramble and don't really do it. So it's fascinating how that played out, and very clever how they layered um, the subtext of that throughout the film.
2: Yeah, and and Josh, back to what you were saying about the uh, the the poor father, Mr. Kim. Um, he does say that he has a plan. He tells them that he has a plan. What do you think the plan was before they have to go back there? And go through that and everything goes off the rail what do you think his plan was do you think it was to go down there and kill that couple
1: i kind of think the father was lying i don't think he ever had a real plan
2: oh you just still didn't have a plan
0: i'm kind of with josh on that that's that's how i took it too oh you could very well could
2: be in the gym
0: he says i have no plan or there is no plan don't have a plan
1: yeah, I think he just has been so used to saying that there's a plan and everything's under control to, like, I don't know, fool his family or something or give fake confidence to him, but I really don't think so. And, you know, the, the part in the movie that I really, since I saw it, has I've been turning over and over, is why did Mr. Kim stab Mr. Park? Why did the poor dad kill the rich dad? And that's something where I'm just like, wow, you know, because the rich father did treat the poor father, pretty well. I mean, you know, he made he talked about the smell and things like that. But now I'm kind of thinking that maybe Mr. Kim killed Mr. Park because Mr. Park is a better version of a father than Mr. Kim is. He's seeing, With, you know, this guy put through this whole rites of passage for his son, and you know, he sees that he's like in the trenches, ready to go and participate in this too. And I think mr kim must have looked at that and been like wow i'm i'm really a shitty father and you know a bad family man and this guy he's really good
2: i think there's a few things there i also think that at the end he I, i think mr uh mr park the rich the rich father the rich dad he he is everything that mr kim wishes he had become but he didn't put any of the effort in he just wanted it to happen but he didn't work at it he never came up with a plan to achieve that but he's seen that, and and I think it's a combination of yes, Mr. Mr. Park treats him well, treats Mr. Kim well, but only because he thinks he's somebody he's not. So deep down, he knows like this guy would never like who I really am. But then in that moment where he's but and he's starting to realize what he thinks of his kind, and he's heard him talk about the smell, the subway, you know, the boiled rags. Um, Not to mention when he's sitting there and he's telling him the plan for the party and they're both wearing Indian headdresses. It's like this is a 50 year old man wearing an Indian headdress because he's being told to by his boss. It's like that's pretty demeaning. You know, on his day off, they're calling him in. You guys spent the whole night in the gutter, you know. And then in the gymnasium, and now he's having to do this. I, I think it was all so rage building up. Like, I'm so sick of not having what this guy has. You know, I I, I almost think that in, in that moment, when all everything's going down, and it's like his kids are dying, his family's dying, and he's seeing that this guy has the resources to get out of Dodge and get help. Within 15 minutes, they can be at a hospital. And I think it was just like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm finally standing up you know, for myself. And pretty much, Mr. Kim does stand, he does take action. He becomes proactive from that midpoint on, from the time that he bum rushes the the, the maid with the phone. From that point forward, he is proactive because they, they all bust on him for being, you know, kind of a, a pansy and not being confrontational the whole first act. And then he becomes super confrontational the second act or the second half of the film.
0: So what do you think his plan was, Ryan? You were asking uh did we think he had a plan going back to the house
2: I don't I, I'm not sure I'm not so sure he had a plan I, yeah. I think that uh the only plan I can think of is those people in the basement need need to go because they were the only thing that was going to was to, that was going to um skyline them the only the, they were the only two people who knew their secret in his mind I think he was thinking they gotta go mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. if he
2: goes back he is going to kill them
0: yeah, I think you're right. Um,
2: uh, I could be wrong, but but um, if he did have a plan, that, that might have been it.
0: <laughs> I want to hop back to some more visual things um, before I forget about them. <clears throat> Just because the production design of this film and the art direction is so intricate, like as intricate and well-crafted as the script is. Uh, and truly, I think that we could have a podcast that's like just about the script, just about the sure. character development, just sure. about production design. It's it's all incredible. Um, I learned that they built the park's house specifically for this movie. And they oh, spent yeah. a lot of time researching um, the plot of land that they were going to build it on. They did a lot of research about the direction of the sun passing over and what direction they would position the house to have the best, like, flood of light coming in, um, as well as just designing the architecture of the house, which, uh, you know, a sidebar conversation of that, that the production designer for Parasite is not an architect, and she has to design a house that is supposed to be designed by an architect. I mean, how challenging is that? And it's, it's so stunning. It's so beautiful, the way that they made it. But the fact that, this crew did so much research, not only on the plot of land where the mansion was going to be, but also the apartment in the basement, just to make sure that there's as little of natural light as possible for the basement and as much natural light as possible for the mansion. Um, And I mean, there's articles that cover the interior lighting too, of how in the, uh, you know, the, the poor houses, the poor environments they lean on, harsh fluorescent lighting you've got like green ugly lighting um, for their interior lighting and then the park family has like the warm tungsten lighting the beautiful lights that are over the staircase things like that so i thought that that was really neat um so they're using light to again represent like the the darkness of this family kind of the evilness and then the light um, for the park family they use that even when they're showing the characters walking towards an opportunity. They walk out of the shadows into the light. So I think it's fantastic how they incorporated light and darkness as yet more subtext of the whole story.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, e- even just even just that. I mean, because the uh, again it, we talked about the, that opening image, looking out their their uh, their cellar apartment window um the uh just the the juxtaposition between that image and the image of looking out the park's um front window Mm -hmm. out into that big yard out into those trees it it was and they and they really hit that so many you know he really hit that so many times Mm -hmm. just showing the difference um uh, you you know what else i wanted i wanted to get into sir was yeah uh crossing the lines
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they they
2: they all they especially Mr. Uh, Park refers to, you know, they don't cross the line. They 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 you know, they you know, he he likes people that don't cross the line. They get to that don't try to get too personal. And, and he also says that Mr. Kim, he, he walks the line. He walks right up to the edge of it, but he doesn't cross it. And there's a few times where he absolutely you're like, dude, you are. You are rolling the dice here, man, and um, where he is tiptoeing that line, but and I and I know it's there through dialogue and you know and it's in the script, but visually, is there anything that you could hit on, Sarah, as far as crossing lines?
0: Oh my God, absolutely! Um, Yeah, so you have literally and figuratively the characters, the Kim family and the Park family, having that line divide, and you see it um, in the. Framing of various scenes. I know there's some video essays that get into it too, but for example, one of the first times we see it is when Kevin gets to the Park family house and he's in the kitchen, and the, uh, the housekeeper at that time goes out into the garden to wake up Mrs. Park, who's sleeping on that, like, you know, the garden table out there, and she, like, goes up and yeah. claps right in her face. So if you're looking at the framing of that and how they set it up, you are behind Kevin. And he's looking out the windows, which there's no framing in the windows. It's just panes of glass together. So they come together at a corner. So you have a physical line right there. And Kevin's Kevin's character is placed, like the, the blocking of his character is on the left side of the frame. And you see that the housekeeper on the outside of the window is also on the left side. And Mrs. Park is the only one that's on the right side. So you have that actual visual divide between them. And the Mm -hmm. only time that there is someone crossing that line is when the housekeeper goes up to clap. She's crossing the line, getting into her personal space and going there. And we see that throughout the film of uh, when Mrs. Park takes Kevin on a tour of the house. The camera is like a wide shot of the staircase from the living room, like by the coffee table. And you see Mrs. Park going up the stairs and there's a pillar and they're separated, Kevin and Mrs. Park, she's on the left, he's on the right. And then when they go up and they're walking down the hallway, even the way they do that, when they both come off the stairwell and start coming towards the camera, there's like track lighting on the ceiling and just the the architectural design. I don't know if it's like beams or painting, but you can see a line that divides the frame there too. And then Mrs. Park stays on the right and he's on the left. So just mm-hmm. like the subtle notes of that crossing the line, and it's like that throughout the film, and you can see when the characters cross over into like this, uh, you know, upper upper level when they're accepted into that realm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The other thing that I want to say too is even with their house, with the Park family house, you know, you see outside, it's a beautiful lawn. You have trees. You can see the sky, a lot of sunlight. But there's also the line that divides the Park family from anyone else, which is the garden. The trees Mm -hmm. make this kind of fortress wall. Yeah. Um, So they still have their own divide from even other rich families. Yeah. um, Even though they have the appearance of no barriers with the frameless windows. Yeah. In contrast, the Kim family, it's like bars on the window. Like you said earlier, it seems like they're kind of in a jail cell in their apartment in the basement.
2: Yep. The, uh, the the one that you just reminded me of the ones talk, talk about crossing lines and really it, it's kind of the jumping point for that whole first uh, first part of the second act. Uh, when when Because when, really, it's the first thing that really gives them any resistance is once once he goes into uh, once he once Kevin arrives at the park's home and he's he's he's. Kind of accepted with open arms but then the you know by the maid and even the mother is very friendly but then when she says i'm going to sit in on this first lesson it's like oh you better come with your a-game man because she's going to be sitting there evaluating what you do you know whether whether you thought she was drunk or whatever sleeping around the house she's going to be sitting there evaluating you um it's all going to depend on what she wants you know, to, out, out of a tutor. And when he, when she's sitting there and he kind of, he grabs her by the wrist, which already he's a grown man and she's a teenage girl. And he, he you know, he puts his hands on her arm and starts talking about her pulse and how, you know, your heart, your heartbeat doesn't lie. Your pulse doesn't lie. But he also goes into this, like he's absolutely crossing. When he grabs her arm, the, the, the mother actually sits up like, oh, what's going on here? And then he ta- he lays out exactly what that fa- what his family is going to do to them. He says, I don't care if you're right or wrong on number 24. You need to slash away, you know, with vigor, with relentless vigor to get what you want. You have to just attack this test. doesn't matter if you're wrong or right. And that's exactly what this family does to them. But right. for whatever reason, because that's such a wet, it is a Western thing. Um, theory you know mindset is is uh individualism and and i'm going to do whatever it takes to succeed at what i do and she is kind of you know twittered by it just like that's exactly what she needs but really what this guy's doing is is he's he's saying we are crossing all lines and we are going to take this over but they don't see it
0: well and i think the reason that he earns uh, mrs park's respect in that moment too is which we get a sense of later when the sun is all about like native american culture and that is big in it i think one of the reasons that the park family idolizes western culture so much is you know the concept of when we came to north america and just took over the land and you know killed so many native americans but it's like no, we want this land. We're taking it. I don't really give a shit what you want. This is mine now. I'm claiming this territory. Yes. So that's the mentality they're, that they're in. So when uh, Kevin's character did that and crossed that line and said, "I'm, you know, I, go for it. This is what you got to do. This is what I do. Even though we know, like, no, you're just being a con man. Like, you're being dishonest. That's not what you should yeah. teach a kid. But the mom's like, yes, that's exactly what we do. That's that's yeah. right. I trust you. You must be one of us. Welcome. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um yeah that, that was that was a really that was an intense scene too because it, but all, I thought it was so brilliant too because all they do is show at the end of that scene all you do is when he lets go of her her arm finally and he moves his hand back off away from her textbook or her little test book there the shot is only of their hands but as soon as he does it and he lets go she she pulls the corner back on the edge of the test booklet and you can tell she is, you know, her, her, her hormones have been rattled, so to speak. It's like, she is like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm into this. And it's so subtle, but it's just the way her fingers pull back on the page. Like, Oh, I am interested.
0: Mm -hmm. it
2: it was so subtle, but it's like, dude, that's a great shot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
2: But again, uh, yeah. Crossing lines. It's, Mm It's a neat theme.
0: Um, one other kind of production design element that I wanted to bring up that uh, I read about and didn't really think about in the movie is um, another, another element that kind of reinforces the uh, class divide between the two is the rain. And we know from film studies courses that rain usually represents like a rebirth, kind of like a baptism, some change, some transition. But the way that they incorporate rain in a moment, which does involve change and transition in the story, is even seen differently based on your socioeconomic status. So sure. when it's raining and they're at the park's house, it's romantic, it's soothing, it's gentle, it's delicate. And yes, there's a storm going on and they're a little worried about their son, but they're like, eh, oh, he'll be okay outside in the rain. It, it, we'll just watch him from here. It's fine. And uh, now let's you know, have our own heavy petting session <laughs> on the couch yeah so the rain is that's not a threat to them okay. but yeah. when the kim's family has to leave and we talked about them going down this labyrinth of stairs to get to their you know sewer level uh, dwelling place yeah rain to a lower class level is dangerous it means flooding it means violence it means a loss of everything yeah
2: Mm -hmm. destroying everything you own sure
0: yeah so it's interesting to see how different classes can see different elements as it's the same thing it's rain but for some people it's really good and for some it's horrific Mm -hmm. Uh, so i love that element being brought in too to show that class divide
1: you know, what's cool about the production design behind uh, the Kim family's you know, street and their whole, I guess, apartment. Uh, that was all built on a water tank. So that's how the, they actually did the flooding is they just pumped water up from the tank that it was all built on. And oh, really? Yeah. yeah and that mm. whole set, too, like all the little, you know, um, props and things like the boxes and the signs, those were actually taken from areas in, I think it was... South Korea uh, that had experienced floods just like that one, so it looks very much like. I mean, you know, it's an actual film of this rain coming on a real neighborhood, and I, I, it's just so impressive the the production design on this film.
0: Mm-hmm. Make yeah. it feel as authentic as possible. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to throw in here before we kind of wind down?
2: Um. <clears throat> You know, I, I, uh, just, uh, you know, we had talked about different different levels of uh, parasites. Who's the real parasite in this in this movie? And it's just, it, it really does kind of throw a few different, um, you know, when you start, I didn't think about this when I watched the movie the first time, but it was, you know, when you get home, and you start thinking about it. you start thinking like, well, she, Miss, Miss, Mrs. Kim, I'm sorry, Miss, Mrs. Park, the, the rich mom, she's a bit of a parasite herself. I mean, she is absolutely uh, and it was interesting to see that 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 one character in that family that was absolutely had those qualities was almost a projection of a lot of the of a lot of the housewives that we see on uh, American television on the reality shows, you know, where she's just this day drinking housewife who has no brings nothing to the table, really. You know, is, is neurotic about dealing with her kids, isn't teaching any lessons, isn't instilling any kind of discipline or anything that is, all, that is all left up to the help. Meanwhile, she just wants to, and you really get to see her when they're planning for that, you know, spur of the moment surprise party. She's on the phone at the checkout line, talking to her friend saying, we're going to be able to do day drinking and I want you to sing that song. And... There's a woman, you know, ringing up the groceries and Mr. Kim is bagging everything. She's doing nothing except getting ready for this party, you know, and and a party that, you know, her rich husband is paying for. And it's uh, it was just interesting to look at that and be like, well, you could she's a parasite, too. She has she has uh, positioned herself to reap all the benefits of other people's hard work and doesn't contribute anything and um i just thought that that was interesting to see to also at that upper that high that upper class level that's still there
0: right they're not there's there's degrees to it right they everyone's a parasite of swords especially in kind of a capitalistic culture um, with the luxuries and all that yeah that's that's interesting well then why don't we wind it down and uh Top to our recommendations for what to watch next um who wants to go first
2: um i mean I'll, I'll just throw out his i mean his other movie uh a lot of people are familiar with uh, snowpiercer but you guys ever see uh the host
0: i haven't seen it yet
2: not yet yeah that was um it was weird because i did not know that he was when i watched parasite i had not i didn't realize that he had uh that he had done the, that movie, The Host. I can't. I want to say it was like in 2010 10 or eleven. I think right around that time. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, pretty neat. Uh, yeah, monster monster movie. Uh, but comedic, comedic monster movie. That. But I mean, he just he he's a gifted guy. He 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 does a good job. Of it. Do you guys both see Snowpiercer too? Mm-hmm. No,
0: I haven't seen that one.
2: Okay. That's, I think that's another good one, too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that would be my recommendation is, is check check this other guy's stuff out because it's really, you know, like, people are like, where did this guy come from? He's an overnight success. It's like, no, man, his first his first film was made in 2000. Yeah, this guy's been at it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it's just now we're, you know, everybody, he's becoming mainstream here. <clears throat> but um this dude's been, he's been, I mean, he's been a, a big player over there in his uh, native country for quite a while and yeah he's uh the guy's a gifted dude check out some more of his stuff
0: awesome josh what about you
2: uh i'm gonna recommend the people under the
1: stairs by wes craven it's a horror movie from the early 90s and uh it's another take on you know a a surprise person living underneath your staircase just like just like in parallel yeah yeah, it's a good one.
2: Check it out. I'd, I'd be interested because I don't think I've seen that movie in close to 30 years. Um, yeah. Shows how old I am. <laughs> I'm clearly the 40 and the 20, 30, 40. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I I think I actually took a date to see that movie. So I was that old. Oh, wow. Uh, but anyway, the um, I'd be interested <clears throat> to go back and look at that movie to see if anything was, uh, if it inspired anything in Parasite. I think that's a good call, Josh.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ryan, you were talking about watching some of Bong Joon-ho's older stuff. I watched Okja after seeing Parasite. Yeah. Gotta say, I was not a fan. Everyone was crazy on it. I really disliked it. I felt like it was very on the nose and it had potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can have a whole different conversation about that. But I did hear, I'm curious, have you guys seen his movie from 2003, Memories of a Murderer?
2: Uh, I have not seen that one.
0: That's one that um, a lot of, there's been a lot of buzz about that Of if you're looking into his old stuff to check it out. I haven't seen it, but that's on my list of what I want to watch next. Um, but I guess my recommendation, I was trying to think of a movie that Parasite was reminding me of, and I was having a hard time because it's just so fantastic. But one that came to mind that is interesting with how the tables turn and how the story changes in the character's arc Um, is the movie, was it 2005, Hard Candy, that has Ellen Page and Patrick Wilson in? Yeah. um, About, like, online predators, child predator, that whole situation. Um, And it's kind of like the To Catch a Predator situation. But it's a younger Ellen Page before Inception and some of the stuff that really put her name out there. Um, I think it was right before Juno then, too. Juno was probably 2007. So hard candy is an yeah. interesting one, and how the story shifts. And it's also interesting because it's an isolated thriller in a house, much like what we experience with Parasite. So, so that's my check recommendation. Yeah, I, th- I,
2: th- I think Hulu actually has three or four of his movies um, up on up on that app right now.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Love to check that uh,
2: out. Including Parasite. <clears throat> if you're looking to uh, looking for a spot to to uh, to see it. Sweet. Hulu has a bunch of his stuff.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys for jumping in on this conversation today. Uh, thank thank you, you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Hopefully, you guys are also following us on Instagram, at TTFpod. Um, and keep an eye out for some more episodes we have coming up. I think we're also going to do a separate podcast. It's a breakdown of the script of Parasite, so watch out for that one. Um, and tune in next time for whatever the hell we're gonna talk about. All right, thanks guys. See
2: ya.